0: Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. It is brought to you this week by Squarespace.
1: Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined as always by my co host and partner in space travel. We're talking about. Space. Stephen Hackett, hi. (laughs) I was worried you were going to implicate us in some sort of space crime, which I just don't Yeah, partner in space crime would have been the other way to go. I did not. (laughs) I'm not going to tell anyone about our space crime, Stephen. I'm going to keep that secret.
0: I appreciate that. Uh, We have a very special episode this week, Jason.
1: We do. We have a guest, and uh, we're going to introduce her now because she writes about the stuff that we talk about all the time, so we might as well get her involved in the show from the very beginning. It's Swapna Krishna, who is... I mean, let's say you cover space, you cover science, you cover tech, you cover sci-fi, which makes me very happy, for Engadget, the LA Times, and sci-fi. And you have a great newsletter called, uh, is it Give Me Space? Is that it? It is Give Me Space. Yeah, it's a
2: weekly. I mean, it's supposed to be weekly, but I forgot to send it out last week. But it's a weekly, just kind of, it's it's just like five to seven links of like stuff that's going on in space for people who, you know. Kinda of like the podcast who you don't have to be a rocket scientist to follow yeah. space news.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of it. There's a whole lot of it out there.
2: There's so much of it.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's we we when we started doing this podcast, we thought, well, every other week will there be enough to talk about? It's like, yeah, that is not a problem. There is too much. I feel bad when we leave stories. There's like a story that I find like, oh, this is really great. And then it like doesn't even get in the podcast because there's too much other stuff going on. Uh, before we get started with our pre-flight checklist of updates, Stephen, you want to um, sound the merchandise horn? Yes. <laughs> <Do-do>! <laughs> I was just going to put a sound effect into the edit,
0: but that's way better. It's going to go with okay, that. good. Yes, yeah, so we uh, we have long spoken about having a liftoff mission patch, Jason. We and I have talked about this for, mm-hmm. for since the beginning of the show, and I'm very excited to announce they are they are real. Uh, we have a mission patch and we have the same artwork on a t-shirt and uh maybe the most special thing is you can also get it on a hoodie
1: yeah and 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 it's the actual patch will be on attached to the hoodie so it's not just like a silk screen of the show art the real deal like we made real mission patches of our show art patch and it's cool so they're all available for the next what two weeks i think
0: yeah, uh, yeah. Two weeks. Uh, so today is Tuesday, April tenth. Uh, so two weeks from today, they will go away. Uh, you can check them out at liftoffmerch.space, dot space, and there's a big link in the show notes this week, uh, so you can see the shirts and the patch and everything, and click on that, and you'll be uh, you'll be on your way. I'm I'm very excited to have mission patches, Jason.
1: Very mm-hmm. Excited, yeah. At last, at long last. It took a long time. <laughs> it's hard to find yeah, somebody it's... to make patches. Turns out, it is, it is. But then we got the Cotton Bureau involved and they, they want to put it on a hoodie too and it all it all worked out. So that's good. And there's just a t-shirt if you want a t-shirt of the, uh, the logo. That works too. All right. Uh, we should get to the, the details now. We should probably start with the James Webb Space Telescope, which, of course, the stories are never really good news with the James news. Webb Space mm-hmm. Telescope these days because uh, NASA did a, a a briefing where they said that due to Some things like damaged thrusters and a torn sunshield. They're going to keep the telescope uh, grounded until May 2020, maybe, which probably, given the overarching costs, will put them over the cap that Congress put on the mission, um, which is is not great. At the same time, this is the most sunk of sunk costs ever. Mm -hmm. So they're going to they're gonna keep they're gonna keep doing it, but it means they're gonna get need to get reauthorization from Congress I think yeah, so um so swap swapna yeah, what about this one what do you what are you what do you uh, where are we with the James Webb I mean it sounds like it's just more bad news it's not their fault There was like a a contractor did some damage to the spacecraft, but still
2: every time I talk like James Webb comes up, I just put my head in my hands and start rubbing my eyes oh, yeah. because it's just one of those things that you just want it to go so well because it has such great potential. And I feel like it's just setback after setback. But yeah, so, and the problem really here is that Northrop Grumman, the contractor, um, is currently working on the telescope 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like, there is literally no time for them. Like, they can't add another shift. They can't, (laughs) like, they're already literally 24-7 working on this telescope. And so, I mean... I don't know, you always hear, and it's very true, it's a huge telescope, it's a very delicate instrument, but you also wonder, I mean, they build time and money in for that, and so it's just, it's a frustrating situation, I think, for everyone.
1: And because we don't have, I mean, where it's going, right, it's going into one of the Lagrange points, right, so it's going very far away, and we don't have... And we don't have a, a spacecraft that could get there and fix it if it was broken, so that's another part of this. This is nope. not like the Hubble like this can't go wrong because if it goes wrong at any point, that's it. That's nine billion probably dollars uh that is down the drain because you know exactly
2: yeah, no pressure and so when you hear about things like damaged thrusters like torn sun shields, that just does not give you a mm-hmm. lot of confidence. Um, and so, I mean, I am really glad they're taking the extra year and they're not going to try and rush it and put it up next year. But at the same time, like, as you said, um, it's just it's delay after delay. And then on top of that, it it may jeopardize the future of another telescope that's supposed to be the web's successor it, because this one's taking so is long. Is it W
1: First, the one that? Yep. The one that, that was the, the, the Trump budget had it cut, but then Congress continued funding for Congress
2: it. Congress restored it.
1: Yeah, But there's the whole dec- decadal survey thing where scientists exactly. say, what are our priorities? And first is supposed to be the next priority. But the way the surveys work, we may end up with like, web is not even launched when it's time to talk about what the next decade will be.
2: Exactly. And so I, I think it's very unlikely that web will just be canceled, you know, Congress is going to, you know, continue paying for the telescope, even if the cap is reached, but it could jeopardize W first. So it's just frustrating. Like it is, I'm sure it comes coming across in my voice. Like I am, I love this telescope so much. And I just, I just want it, I just want it up there.
1: Yeah. And and when, when it does finally go, it's also going to be a real white knuckler because, you know.
2: Yeah, I'm. I have I've been joking with a couple of other space reporters. I'm going to be drinking so much during that launch. <laughs> because I don't think I can take it
0: sober. Oh uh, no, it's going to be brutal.
2: It's going to be bad.
1: One shot at it uh from from uh from uh the what is it the French Guiana uh yep. lift-off site. Yeah. So yeah but the we, five. we gotta get there though that's the that's the trick and you're right they can't step yep. it up they're working 24 hours a day there are literally are not more hours that they could work on it <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: oh boy
2: so it's just everything about this is fraught i feel like i feel like you you um mention it and then everyone's blood pressure mm. just goes up
0: yeah Any, anytime i see it
1: pop up in our doc for the podcast i'm like oh no oh, more oh bad no bad news <laughs>
2: <laughs> what now? Yeah. And,
1: and and I mean the promise is so great. Like we I, I feel like we lose sight sometimes of like if if this telescope gets up there and works, it will change our conception of the universe. Yeah. Right? Like there's no exactly. doubt it will it will be able to measure things and see things that we cannot see now. So it will be huge if it gets there.
2: I mean, it will do for another generation what Hubble yeah. did for a lot of us. Like it is it is so it could redefine so much of what we know and it is such a just a cool piece of technology if you like look in the, like the the honeycomb mirror and all that it is it's a really cool piece of tech like despite the you know contractor errors and stuff like that it's just it's very cool very complicated
1: that's what nine billion will buy you <laughs> so let's yep. hope it hope it gets up there um steven do you want to Talk about what's going on with commercial crew.
0: Yeah. Talking about programs that generally when they come up, bring bad news. (laughs) There's (laughs) a link to two and sadness. There's uh, a story out talking about Boeing, which has the CST 100 Starliner, which would be their commercial crew uh, capsule. And there's there's talk about the. The first crewed flight of that being uh, sort of expanded out into uh, an operational mission. So initially, that was supposed to be two crew member, a uh, two crew member uh, flight, go up, test things out, come back. Um, but they're talking now about extending that from two weeks uh, up to six months, and basically using it for a long duration stay at the space station which would be uh it's a big jump from 2 weeks to 6 months but uh, it seems like um you know, there are a couple of factors here we have the fact that we are running uh sort of running out the clock on uh seats to fly from uh to fly from Russia that ends in fall of 2019 I believe and uh commercial crew as we know has slipped uh and slipped and slipped and so it seems like maybe they're going to try to make up some time here, you know, this this crew test flight being uh being a little bit more.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty um dramatic to say, well, our test flight's going to have people on it though. That's that's actually kind of scary. Um note, what do you think is this uh is this when is commercial crew going to happen? Like for real? <laughs>
2: Um, I do think the first test flights will happen early next year. I think I do think like maybe February 2019. Um, I don't think it'll happen in December. I don't think that's realistic because um, I think SpaceX is projected for December and Boeing's projected for February. And I think the earliest it will happen is February. Um, yeah, I was not thrilled about this uh, news development, but I'm also not surprised. I mean, if we there are no more seats for us to purchase on Soyuz and um, like they can't at this point it's too late for them to make more to accommodate us so yeah got to find a. I mean this is literally the only place that we can find seats and so I'm not surprised but I'm not I mean I don't a test flight should be a test flight like you sh- it's not a good idea to operationalize test flights um, and I think it'll be fine like I'm not I'm not as worried as I w- about this as I was, for example, about potentially putting a crew on the first flight of yes. SLS.
0: <laughs> agreed.
2: <laughs> because at least it'll be a tested rocket. Yeah. <laughs> and like worst comes to worst, it'll just be in low Earth orbit. If the spacecraft isn't spaceworthy, like there's certainly dangers, but you can come home. It, I mean, there's... So I'm not nearly as worried about that, this as I was about that. But I mean, it's just not great. Like you never, this is, these are not the situations you want to find yourself in when you're, you know, testing out a new generation of spacecraft.
1: So why is it that the, I, I, do you remember what's the story with the Soyuz running out? Is that a, is that a Russia U.S. kind of dispute? Is it just that they don't, they, they've, they've got the certain number of capsules that they've got and they've got them full of their own people? Yeah
2: it's the latter mm. i mean there is domestic pressure u.s government pressure to stop paying obviously sure. to stop um paying russia because um i mean russian officials have joked that we are basically funding their military with our you know 70 i think it's like 75 million dollars a seat um but it's just that the soyuz there's just no more seats to sell they've sold all the seeds and um, it's too late to make a new capsule, so it.
1: So now we're up against it. We're basically hard up against yeah. it now, where we've had this gap in U.S. spaceflight capability since, of uh, crude spaceflight ca- capability since the last space shuttle launch, which was yeah, it's quite a while ago now. Um, and now we're we're really up against it. Which which I mean, 2019. If they can make it work in 2019, then then this is solved.
2: If we can get an operational flight up or a test flight up in early 2019 this isn't a problem. Like if they turn operation if they do operational flights before the rockets are flight cert or human certified that's that's not a huge it's not great. It's not a huge deal to me. But the first test flight being operational is just not great. Mm. <laughs>
1: Well, you can see the pressure that they're under that they're that they're talking about this, and the, yep. they say they say things. I mean, <laughs> when they announce this, they're like, "Of course, we take this very seriously, but we're also gonna yeah. um, we're also gonna look at this just to get the time frame up." So,
2: it is interesting to me that they did this with Boeing, and I don't think they've done this with SpaceX because hmm. those are the two commercial crew right. providers. And I do wonder if that has to do with the um, propellant loading on the Falcon Nine that they have not. That NASA and SpaceX have not agreed on um, because the propellant on the Falcon 9 is lo- would be loaded after the crew uh boards the spacecraft, which is i mean there's an explosion danger mm-hmm. when you're loading propellant and so and that's a thing that that's a big thing that they haven 't figured out yet, so I do wonder if that has something to do with this
1: well we will uh, we'll see um going to be an interesting year or so
2: yeah i'm really curious to see honestly what happens with commercial crew because my, i do think that the first test flight will happen in early 2019 and this won't be as big of an issue but i don't know about boeing because boeing is further behind than spacex so who knows it's so hard to tell and every time you make a prediction you're wrong
1: we that's a good uh segue into other spacex stuff that's going on that we should talk about oh yeah um the, if, if you watched the last SpaceX launch, you noticed that, that before they got to deploy all of their many, uh, many little satellites, they turned off the broadcast and, and blamed uh, NOAA, the what is that National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, I think Oceanic Oceanic. and Atmospheric Administration. yeah, that's right. it's right there. It's oh, love, love those government <laughs> acronyms. Um, and they, they blamed them and said, well, we need a l- license that we don't have. And then Noah was like, yeah, that's true. And then a couple of days later, they said, no, it's not true. And then a, like a couple of days later, they said, yeah, it might be true it is I don't really know what's going on here. It's super strange. Like, is this is this just a bureaucracy battle, like a paperwork battle? I mean, we've talked on this podcast before about how there are all sorts of regulatory issues with space, with commercial exploration of space that just were not thought of when a lot of the regulations were written but this i I don't know it 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 felt like spacex was like just spiting noah for some reason and then noah was like we don't even know what they're talking about i don't know do we know any more about this or is this is is the big question mark what we've been left with with this story
2: i mean to me this whole story is weird
1: (laughs) (laughs) super weird
2: i don't even know
1: like the rocket like the video from the rocket is apparently not Allowed or might be. It's very strange. There's, there's. I, my theory is that there is a bureaucrat somewhere within NOAA who sent a memo to SpaceX saying, you know, you should probably do this. And then some. There's probably a maybe bureaucrat at SpaceX who's like, oh, this really makes me mad. And or or maybe they sent a memo to Elon Musk who said, oh, I'm really mad. We're gonna, we'll just turn it off and blame them and see how they like it. Um, but anyway I I like the SpaceX live cameras and I would like them to be there I I, I uh... surely there's a way for them to work this out but
2: yeah, I agree. I think I actually do think it's like one bureaucrat at NOAA, because especially NOAA's reaction was very confusing. Like they had no idea no. what was going on.
1: Clearly, No, the press office like um, was like, we... <laughs> I don't know.
2: We did what now? <laughs>
0: like,
1: yeah. Nobody really, nobody who was covering the launch knew about it until SpaceX just announced that they would be shutting off the feed early because of uh, a NOAA. Uh, restriction or mandate or something very super weird the other uh, SpaceX story by the way that we should talk about uh, at least briefly it's not there's not a lot here but um, it sounds like it is confirmed now that that Zuma spy satellite that didn't get to the right place in its orbit on on the back of a SpaceX launch um, it sounds like it's been confirmed now was not the fault of SpaceX that Northrop grumman who built the spy satellite insisted on a proprietary payload adapter that failed so it's on the contractor and not on spacex in the end
2: yeah which is a good thing i mean it's good to let it's good spacex was getting a lot of flack for that that it and it couldn't just the company couldn't comment because it was a classified payload so it's nice that people you know have come forward to say that no this wasn't the company's fault
1: yeah, it's a, that's a weird story, and yeah, government secret government things you can't talk about it. But uh, there was this real question yeah. of like, is this is, is SpaceX a reliable contractor, a reliable uh, uh, right. a ride for these things into orbit? And you know, it, it turns out it's not them here.
2: And I do wonder with the popularity of this story, because normal uh, SpaceX Falcon Nine launches do not get the kind of coverage that Zuma got. I feel like even before the um satellite was launched there was a lot of coverage because it was named zuma which is something interesting and it was a secret launch and so i do wonder if you know like if classified people who want to send up classified payloads looked at this and were like maybe not spacex right uh because the launches just get so much publicity
1: Right that's true just just being on SpaceX at some point though, launches have got to be less interesting right like there yeah. are so many going on right now which is kind of fun but there they're like there was one day where i think there were three launches
2: oh yeah it was like last thursday i think right and there, there were so many launches and there was like an
1: ariane launch and a spacex launch maybe and a yeah, it was just like, yeah, the, so at some point you would think it would become a little less uh, routine, but we're not there yet. Or a little more routine, Whoa. a little less uh, exciting where everybody's talking about it. But SpaceX has that, you know, they they, they they're doing their PR. They want everybody talking about SpaceX. Stephen, you want to talk about Virgin Galactic?
0: Yeah, so we all uh, remember their um horrific accident back in 2014 uh, in which two pilots were killed. Uh, they have uh, just uh, just last week uh, completed their first power test flight since that accident uh, with the, um, uh, uh, the craft named the VSS Unity, and uh, it, uh, according to Richard Branson, uh, was a supersonic test flight uh, that was successful. And they have kind of proclaimed themselves uh, back on track after that that 2014 in- incident. Um, I think I think it's worth. Reminding people of of how this uh, this thing works with the spaceship two like it's sort of a, a strange vehicle, right? Like it's not something that I think we're used to seeing uh, every day.
1: Yeah, this is the uh, you know it, it goes up on its little friendly uh carrier plane and then it gets dropped and it and it ignites its rocket and it and it went you know supersonic in this in this test and like the um the spaceship one. Right. That, that it is the successor to. Um, it does the shuttlecock thing where it uh, it goes up and, uh, you know, it ideally gets you into space and then it comes down and it locks and, and it lands out in the Mojave Desert. Um, and the whole point of it is really to do tourism, to get people to to take people into space. Um, but. The, the you know that with the with the crash and the one fatality I think one one the copilot died and the pilot survived and was just injured um, but this is they they're they're back in you know they're back in testing now and the video is spectacular by the way there's some really great video of of uh, of this where it drops and fires its rocket off and kind of shoots up and it's pretty pretty awesome so they're back in the game too speaking of this is this is a totally different commercial space venture this <laughs> is not uh uh, maybe we can talk about uh space hotels in a little while too because there's mm, <laughs> it gets weirder it's got the future's weird everybody it's a weird it's a weird time <laughs> we should we should uh have a moment of silence for uh tiangong one <laughs> the chinese space station <laughs> um i don't have a lot to say about this other than to say of course it fell out, uh, it fell into the south pacific pacific ocean's really big really big and uh and a lot of space junk falls into the south pacific Uh, they uh, some people call it the space graveyard down there um no one died it's fine and uh it's gone now that's i mean that's like what else what else to say the earth is very large i i I was kind of amazed on twitter there were so many people there's a guy who was tracking it because there are the models but once it starts hitting the atmosphere it's really hard to tell when it's down um and and then he was just completely swarmed on twitter by people asking uh, if it would hit them personally <laughs> it's like that's not no and then there's there there was a map showing where it was and it was over like africa and um and the saudi uh, arabia and the and the saudi, the arabian peninsula and then like uh the oceans and uh, South America, and there are people like tweeting saying, I, "I I went outside and I think I saw it in Scotland." It's like, no, <laughs> no. But so it was kind of breathtaking to see how we, we pay attention to space stuff. But there are a lot of people out there who don't, and uh it was a yeah. little sobering. That
2: story got a lot of yeah. That story got a lot of um, a lot of press. It's a, it was. I feel like it was a fun story, and I think people took it a little too seriously, maybe. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> Yeah. But it was, it's a good one. Yeah, well, one. I mean, everybody's got that kind of, like, visceral reaction, and maybe it's stoked by uh, movies and TV shows. Or like, oh, space, something from space is coming, and it's going to hit the the Earth. And it, But the, like, the reality of it is not that interesting, but it does kind of get your attention. And uh, and I, I just think it's also interesting that you see that people are like, can I just go outside and see it? And it's like, that just not... It's not that big, and the Earth's not that big, but, or the Earth's that big, that you're not going to see yeah. it flying over Scotland when it is in Africa. It's not going to happen. Um, oh, Stephen, one more thing. Uh, happy news. We have super happy news from, uh, from our neighbor, Proxima Centauri, <laughs> don't we? <laughs>
0: is, is it super happy news that we're going with? um it depends on where you are i mean do you like solar flares (laughs) (laughs) again it's all based on location if you're up close not great so yeah so this is uh this is a report that the first uh naked eye super flare has been detected from the star which is um uh, i think the brightness uh increased in brightness by a factor of of 68 times or something uh during the super flare um if you're in its path or, or nearby, you're having a bad day, I guess. Uh, you don't want to be be anywhere in the the realm of that thing going off. But um,
1: yeah, flared flared so brightly that it could be seen with the naked eye uh, for a brief period. And uh, because of this big solar flare, you know, it's a it's a it's a small star, and there are an awful lot of those around. And we found a lot of exoplanets around them, including around Proxima, right? But um, the problem with those those stars and and you know the habitable zone is close to the to the star and our techniques to find exoplanets are favor things that are closer to the star and so we found a lot of those exoplanets and the the caveat is always like yeah it's in the habitable zone but those stars are generally considered flare stars and the the um the the phrase that i uh that i picked out of a, a tweet about this uh about this uh paper that came out talking about this it was it 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 emitted germicidal levels of uv so basically if there was a planet because we know that there's an exoplanet if it was on that side when the flare happened basically at that moment that planet got sterilized like that just from the uv that would be that and that's why there's probably not a great chance of life around these little uh, these little stars because they're unstable enough with their with their solar flares, um, and we've we've got a, an up close example now with Proxima. So, if you if you made a bet about finding life on on uh, Proxima Centauri's exoplanet, I I got news for you. It's been <laughs> irradiated. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Rest in it's peace. Good good news though is. The germs, are, the germs are killed, so it's, uh, yeah. you, could, you, could, uh, you could eat there, and you wouldn't get sick.
2: Maybe get some sunburn,
1: Yeah, though. probably. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. We, we, have, we have a lot more. Uh, I've got a whole list of other things to talk about with Swatna, but um, we should probably do our sponsor. Sounds good. This episode of
0: Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store. Maybe you want to create a portfolio to show off your work. Or maybe you want to be a big blogger and need a site for that. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of it. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has got it covered. And they have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you do need help. They allow you to quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, which is so important when starting a web project. And you get to pick from those award-winning templates that are all beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. At Relay, we use Squarespace to power our blog. Anytime we have a new show or an announcement going up, we can log in, very quickly write something, drag images in, rearrange it, and we're on our way back to doing the work. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com liftoff. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name and to so- show your support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash liftoff and the code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website.
1: All right, Swabna, I got to ask you about the luxury hotel in space. Please oh my tell God. me what, what, I mean, this is probably not going to happen, but um, boy, big talk about a big idea. Uh, somebody, yeah. somebody wants to put a luxury hotel in space. So what's the deal?
2: Yeah. So it's a company called Orion Span and they want to basically put a, like you said, a luxury hotel in space. And um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So they, the hotel would have um, capacity for six people. There would be two staff slash crew and four guests at any one time. It would cost, I think, nine and a half million dollars per person. Um, for 12 days. And that would be all inclusive. So it would include three months of training at their facility, which we don't know where that is. We don't even think it's been built yet, but okay. Three months of training at their quote unquote astronaut facility, Uh, a trip to their hotel and back, and they haven't contracted with anyone to actually provide those trips And there's no one, I mean, it's worth mentioning, there is no one doing space tourism yet. Um, Like, there are no operational companies. Like, so that's another hurdle. Um, But, and then it would encompass a 12-day stay on the station, which actually, the price actually, I mean, it seems steep, but it's not that bad. Uh, When you consider, like I said earlier, we're paying $75 million a person to send people up to the ISS and back on the Soyuz, $10 million... Um, roughly for 12 days for a 12 day trip isn't bad at all um but i think the question here is their timing they want to put the station in orbit in 2021 and start accepting guests in 2022 and we don't even know if there's going to be any space tourism companies that are flying by then much less they don't as far as we know they don't have a facility they don't have a uh They they don't have they haven't started actually building the hotel um, and they don't have the facility to build the hotel. Their CEO said in an interview that they were going to start building the facility to build the space station later this year. Uh, So that's not encouraging, because as we have discussed from the James Webb Space Telescope fiasco, um, everything in space is complicated. So this seems pretty haphazard. Uh, But if you would like to reserve your place Aboard Aurora Station You can pay $80,000 And I got a press release yesterday That said four months Of bookings had already Been taken by people Who really want to do this And paid $80,000 Wow So um, I guess I would be what If it's four crew Or four tourists, two crew um, Twelve days That's, I don't know 50 something people i'm bad at math in my head but yeah it's not i mean it's not bad
1: i i think you know i i i mean we'll we'll see what it is but i do wonder once if if somebody can get space a space tourism operation actually up and running yeah what is the market for space tourism it might be really big i mean depends on the price there's a
2: huge market for it honestly i do
1: but we won't know until, right? I mean, they're all these put, uh, putting yeah. down a deposit for eighty thousand dollars for a thing that actually costs eight hundred thousand dollars per day for twelve days, right? It's yeah. it's a it's a big difference. But them and uh, and Virgin Galactic, you know, at, which we mentioned earlier, um, I think isn't is, is is there another space hotel that people are also talking about too? So, it's the,
2: I remember the Russians said something about setting up an orbital space hotel on the ISS.
1: <laughs> sure.
2: Which, yeah, like, okay, I mean, I don't know. That's, um, that's a thing. And I think Bigelow Airspace, which currently has an inflatable module right. attached to the ISS. Yeah, they're, they're big. Yep. I mean,
1: because Bigelow, the idea there is that they can just put up a giant inflatable habitat and then, and then right. take people to it. And you've got a space hotel.
2: And I mean, I'm making, I'm I'm voicing my skepticism, I think, for good reason. But it's worth mentioning that it's not actually, I mean, putting a one module, it's not that that is necessarily super difficult, um, because they do say that this hotel will just be one module. It's not going to be multiple modules that you have to assemble in space right. like the ISS was. But still, they haven't even started building the facility where they're going to build the module. So the timing is just a little ambitious. Yeah, the Rus-
1: the Russian thing is interesting cuz that's, you know, they they've got uh, pres- assuming commercial cl- crew works its way through, um at some point, you know, this is a way for them to generate revenue is if they can put a module right. up at ISS and just use their existing Soyuz uh capsules to send people up and have people pay for it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is especially if we pull out of the ISS by 2025, it's a way to keep that going and so who knows
1: steven you ready for your uh your your host space hotel stay? i am
0: i uh i chuckled at the comment that it's all inclusive like how else would you do it in orbit <laughs> do you bring bring your own food up with you in a little brown yeah, bag or it's like yeah i'm just gonna go down the street for drinks in a movie and i'll come back like it has to be all. <laughs> yeah
2: just Order in your order in like your post or your seymour maybe as well. maybe yeah.
0: Uber will be there
1: uh you know ready to go <laughs> yeah it is the most all inclusive of all all inclusive yeah. resorts
2: uh, you're forced to be all inclusive i wonder and I wonder what the food would be like, like oh, I can't imagine I'm trying
1: to imagine though, okay, so twelve days they say i I have this thought, which is. What the heck do you do in space for twelve days is it are you in space for yeah. twelve days or are you like going there and it includes like a day before or two days before launch and then and then the launch day and then there's the return and you're only actually up there docked for a certain number of days because I started to think like twelve days in in a very small enclosed space in outer space but it's twelve days what do you do like what would you do there there's it's a, that's a lot of time in a very small space, well,
2: and if you think about it, it takes like two days for a like dra- a SpaceX's Dragon or like you know spacecraft to get from you know from launch to the ISS. Right. So you're going to be an even smaller capsule, you know, or some sort of spacecraft for four, two days there, two days back, which I'm assuming is included right. in those twelve. It's got to be.
1: That's got to be. So you know, you're o- you're only actually bouncing around for uh, a certain number of days. Yeah. It would be.
2: You get to know your people who other your fellow travelers very (laughs) well
1: well you know i look at some luxury um luxury stuff including luxury hotels here on earth today and don't understand it and i'm blown away by the expense and what goes into those services and so it's not i hope the companies that are thinking about this are consulting with the experts who serve people who have lots of money And what they give them, because that's the audience for this, at least until the prices come down. is going to be the super rich who want this unique experience that only they have access to.
2: Yeah, like I think a service like this would definitely be popular among that crowd. But yeah, you're going to have to, it's a, I mean, if you're spending $10 million on this, you're going to have some expectations.
1: All right, I wanted to ask you about um, the Robot Bees. You wrote a story about robot bees on Mars. I and, did. And, 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 That's funny. I mean, robot bees on Mars sounds good on its own, but what what is the what is the idea here? These are like little robots, little flying robots.
2: Yeah. So we don't usually cover stuff that is this preliminary at Engadget, but I mean, they're called Mars bees. Like, I don't think it's just it's just such a fun story. So basically, um, the idea is right now um, most of the you know rovers and stuff we've sent to Mars uh they're amazing they've you know uncovered so much about the red planet but they have such limited range like curiosity has been on the planet for what 2000 days and has traveled 12 miles like that's that is not i mean it's amazing for, for what this uh vehicle was built for considering you know it's done some great stuff but that's not very far so the idea is if we're going to send people to mars we need to know more about the planet as a whole we need to be able to get more of a bird's eye view we need to uh, understand just the ranges of distance that we can't achieve through terrestrial vehicles so the idea is these swarms of robotic bees that are controlled by a.i would basically have a mobile lander base and fly in the atmosphere and collect all these readings and then return to their base to recharge. Hmm.
1: This is a little different than we, we talked uh, on a previous episode about the uh, the drone uh, the idea of doing a drone on Titan. I want to say, yeah. Um, and it's interesting that like this is one of those areas where our our technology here on Earth in terms of having uh, automated stuff and little flying things has started to seep into space proposals, which is, that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I like it. I think it gives us a perspective that we don't necessarily have right now from all of our terrestrial vehicles. So um, I just, I think it's cool. It's very preliminary. I mean, it's one of, I think, 25 projects that NASA is funding for further research. So it's very possible this will turn into nothing. But I mean, I also just like, hearing just the wacky ideas people have because a lot of times those are the ones that succeed when you're just thinking really outside the box
1: so um before we go i wanted to ask you about um just more broadly since you're somebody who writes about this stuff all the time what is the stuff coming up in you know in the next year or two that excites you the most that that you're most anticipating covering
2: if you had asked me like three months ago, it would have been Falcon Heavy because I had been waiting for that since like 2011.
1: Yeah. Most of the space journalists I follow on Twitter have been anticipating Falcon Heavy since they started. It was like already yeah. in the works when they started being a space journalist and their whole career like, was bookended by waiting for this rocket that finally they actually launched.
2: It, it really is. Um... I'm really excited. Um, Let's see. I think, I mean, I think just like SpaceX, I have my issues with SpaceX personally. I think they're doing great work, but, you know, of course, um, I do have issues as well. But I think anything they're doing, keeping an eye on that is, of course, a good idea because they do do such interesting stuff. But I really think the next couple of years are a lot of what we hit today. James Webb, the space telescope. I'm really excited to finally see that. I think TESS, which is uh launching next week i think which is um transiting exoplanet something, oh boy. Survey Ac- something. Acronym. It's, yeah it's replacing <laughs> it's rep it's it's replacing an existing spacecraft and it is um it's just it's gonna find more exoplanets and it's gonna be great and we're gonna you know i mean i'm just really excited for what the spacecraft might do um and how many exoplanets it might find because I think it's just going to emphasize how many there are out there and how much there is to research. Um, and then I think I am a- I am excited about commercial crew because I think it's well past time, as do so many other people, that we have our own capability of transporting our own astronauts. Um, and then... I will say I don't know if this is going to be in the next two years I will say which is a controversial opinion I am excited about SLS not because I think it is a good use of money or it has been executed well but the spectacle of that launch I just want to go to see a launch because it's going to be so amazing.
1: Yeah, that's going to be that's going like, to be spectacular in a space shuttle kind of yeah. spectacular way.
2: Right. Like it's going to be like it's more powerful than even the Saturn V rockets. Like it is going to be like as someone who's born too late to be able to like see one of a Saturn V ever take off, like this is just I cannot wait for that first launch. Unfortunately, I don't know that we, I mean, we just don't even know with that program if if it's even ever gonna happen. People are wondering if it's even ever gonna right. happen, or which is not the worst thing if it doesn't. I will say that. But
1: well, it costs a lot of money. But there is this thought that that do you want to rely on on SpaceX? We we talked about it a little bit though. The pro- the problem somebody wrote. Um, maybe it was. Eric at Ars Technica, um, about the reality of SLS, which is that it's got suppliers in every congressional district and it keeps, you know, the whole Huntsville area afloat. And it would be very hard politically to not do it.
2: Yeah. I think they'll, my personal opinion is that they'll do it, but we're not going to use it. Yeah. Like, it's just too expensive and we don't need, we, other people, other, um, you know, contractors can do um what it does for I can't I just don't know why we need that big of a workhorse rocket.
1: Yeah, well, and it's it's got so many different parents through so many different administrations now that, you know, what is it for has been lost and it's been more like yeah. let's create things for it to be a part of because we have yeah, it. Yeah. We <laughs> bought a rocket. We yeah. bought a big rocket platform so we better use it. And what happens when uh, commercial alternatives are cheaper and can lift everything that you need is, yeah, you might end up with a situation a little bit like the space shuttle where it's built for one thing. Exactly. That's what I was about to And then you're like, oh, it actually turns out it's really way more expensive to launch a satellite from the space shuttle. So we're not going to do that anymore. And then, you know, what are you left with is some some amazing rocket that, that maybe will be used for a very limited number of missions to send, you know, to send people to. The moon or to to uh the gateway station
2: or 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 to
1: mars maybe
2: exactly um and i you know they we built the international space station for the space shuttle to have somewhere to go so it's not always bad when that happens but it's not ideal you want more of a plan than that
1: (laughs) (laughs) so um what is the uh thing before we let you go i wanted to I, i'm gonna i'm gonna this is the part where steven's gonna roll his eyes a little bit but i want to i want to nerd out <laughs> with you what's the sci-fi thing you are most looking forward to in the next year
2: oh my god season two of star trek Discovery. i knew you were gonna say I that want it so bad i want it so <laughs> bad and it's not it's not happening until 2019 and i know this but i want it so bad
1: they're they're starting to shoot uh this week i think uh, in toronto yeah. so who knows i i think i have a theory that they're trying to overpromise or underpromise and overdeliver do the the reverse elon musk and say 2019 and then maybe actually have it come out in the fall of 2018 that wouldn't i am that be nice?
2: fine with that i would fine with that i think they do such good work i'm such a like just an unabashed unapologetic fan of that show and you know as a lifelong Star Trek fan, like, I just, I love that show so much. Um, and I know it's been controversial and that's fine. Don't like it. Don't watch yep. it. But I love it yeah, so I'm much. With,
1: I'm with you on that score. We, we, while we were getting to know each other and setting up this, this yes. interview, we were doing a lot of Star Trek nerding out. Sorry, Steven. Yes. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I, know,
0: I know, I know who I work with. <laughs> it's not that's a surprise right. to me. It's important.
1: It's important. Well, I think that's I think that's our, our show for today. Um, just it's all one big pre-flight checklist with a guest. And in the truest sense, uh, true spirit of uh, James Webb Space Telescope and the space launch system. Um, we did a lot of pre-flight checklist and uh, no flight. Oh, oh. oh, Jason. But that's OK. That will happen eventually. Oh, so, Swadna, oh thank you so much for being here.
2: Thanks for having me. This was so much
1: fun. Yeah, it was great. I hope to have you back sometime. Um, Steven, uh, that's it. Are we done?
0: Yeah. I have to do the outro before we leave. Yeah. I have to do the outro at yeah. the end of the show. If you want to find links for everything we talked about this week, uh, you can look in your podcast app of choice or head over to the website, relay.fm slash liftoff slash 7070 wild. Um all the stuff we talked about is there, and uh, including a link to the the merch stuff. So go check that out. You got two weeks to do that, and uh, I think I think that's it. Uh, so uh, until our next Fortnite, Jason, say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Adios.